Good morning. Everybody doing well this morning? Sleep well last night? Didn't sleep enough last night? Yeah, that yeah, was good. What you got? But not enough. Um, we are going to jump right back into Galatians this morning. We're going to look at the end uh, of chapter 1. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures, grab them, open up there. Uh, Galatians, and we'll start reading. I want to read uh, kind of the theme verse of Galatians that we talked about yesterday is chapter 2 uh, and verse 20. It says this, For my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this Trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So remember yesterday we talked about the big idea. We're going to talk about it, uh, start with it, kind of launch with it every time uh, that we have a session. And it's three things that come out of Galatians 2.20. It's I died, God gave, Christ lives. Those are the three things we're going to hit uh, throughout Galatians chapters 1 through 3. So let's say them together. I'll say it, then you say it, okay? I died. God gave, Christ lives. So that's that process that you see of us putting the old us to death. And man, I would like to tell you that happens and it's done and it's over at point of salvation. But I think we all know that it is a process of consistently putting our flesh to death throughout um, our our time, our lives as Christians and as believers, um, that happens more and more uh, and more over time. So it consistently is going to be a battle. Paul calls it a war that we wage um, with our flesh. Um, I was thinking uh, yesterday we were talking with the folks that are in, um, in our cabin that we're staying in, and my wife Angie reminded me of a story um, when we were in seminary, we were hanging out with some of our friends from seminary, another couple called David and Faith were their names, and we were playing cards together. And um, it was in the evening, I think we were actually headed into a weekend, so we were kind of relaxed a little bit, we were playing cards, and after we had been playing for um, a while, um, and I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, Angie and I, uh, maybe we were partners uh, across this little table from each other, and David and Faith were partners across the table from each other. So all of a sudden, David lays his cards down, and he stops playing. And so David and Faith are from Louisiana, right? And so what had happened, what had happened was um, Angie had taken her shoe off, and she was, um, she was rubbing her foot on my foot, on my leg. Or at least she thought it was my foot. But it was actually David's foot and leg. And so David lays his cards down, kind of peeks under the table. And you know, they're from Louisiana, so he's kind of country. And he says, uh, Angie, I like playing footsie, and that feels real good and all, but I think you got the wrong leg. <laughs> and I was thinking about that in light of what we are talking about in Galatians. Um, sometimes I think what Paul is trying to say there maybe is that we are playing footsies with the wrong gospel, right? That there are these Judaizers that have come in behind him, and they have added to the gospel, right? The simplicity of the gospel, we are undeniably flawed, but unbelievably loved through the person of Christ. And the Judaizers came behind Paul, and so there's this religious group that he's consistently and constantly uh, fighting against. And they have said, yeah, you can believe this gospel that Paul has taught you, but you have to add to that rules, um, all of these Jewish regulations and norms. And do you, can, you can have the salvation that Paul talks about, but you maintain the salvation by keeping uh, all of these rules and doing 
all of these things. Now, at the same time, Paul had a different, I may just, can I just maybe take this off or point it down more like that? Is that better? Okay, good. So at the same time, Paul had another group that he was that kind of constantly batting, battling, and they were the um, folks who really gave themselves to the pagan religions in their world, Greek mythology. So you could kind of choose the Greek god that you wanted that would let you, allow you to do whatever it was that you wanted, and you could call that, uh, that was your god, right? So like I said yesterday, this makes Galatians very current. Because I don't know if you feel this tension, I feel this tension a lot in our world. That on the one end, you kind of have um, uh, extreme Christians, right? That's what we'll call them, right? They're kind of out there, and they're the people that wear the sandwich boards, uh, and they're yelling mean things at people all the time in the name of Jesus. And you kind of, like, you kind of feel guilty for them, right? You're kind of like, no, that's really not us. Like, don't, don't, don't pay any attention, right, to them, because that's really not what Christianity is about. But on the other end of the spectrum in our culture, there's kind of, you know, you're, you know, my, my daughter, our oldest, went to college this year, put her first year, right, steps on a college campus, and as soon as she does and goes to a philosophy class, what is she, you know, what's she going to hear? She's going to hear what the philosophy teacher is going to say. Now all that stuff about God and Jesus is, it's not true. I know you've been taught that all your life and you were raised that way. It's, none of that is true. So you just got to choose whatever you want to believe in, whatever you want to value and whatever makes you happy. And you kind of let that lead you, guide you. That's, and those are the kind of the exact same thing that Paul was dealing with when he was talking to the Galatians. It's the exact same thing that we find ourselves dealing with. It makes Galatians very current and very relevant for us. But it also begs a question in my mind. So if those are the ends of the spectrum, right, it's, it's rules and you got to believe that. And listen, I'm not saying there aren't rules, by the way. I'm not saying there aren't boundaries in Christianity. Absolutely, there are. They're for our good. They're for our best. But we don't lead with rules, right? We lead with grace and gospel. And, you know, it, you can't do it. Jesus had to do it for you. You couldn't save yourself. He had to come. He had to save you. So it's just so we're clear. But is Christianity, is it? Is it objective principles or is Christianity, spirituality, is it subjectively personal? Is it, is it a personal, um, emotional, spiritual kind of thing or is it objective principles and truth? And the answer is yes. Yes, and Paul's going to prove that to us in, uh, in Galatians. So, uh, like I said, flip on over to Galatians chapter 1. And listen, by the way, there's a bunch of people from Cincinnati. Who, the, who are the Cincinnati clan? Yes, the 513 is well represented, right? That's great. Any, any of you, are any of y'all affiliated with, like, uh, the family who owns Skyline Chili or anything? Like, nobody? Nobody works for Skyline Chili or anything? That's good because that stuff is terrible. That is not chili. That stuff is awful. What's wrong with you people? You don't put spaghetti and sugar on chili, right? So look, give me a, somebody from the Cincinnati group who would read scripture this morning. Who would, who would, somebody from, I hear literacy rates are really high. John, are you John? John. So John, would you just stand up right there where you are and read Galatians 1, 8 through 12.
Thank you, John. Very good. Very good. So the first idea is that Christianity is objective principles. So these Judaizers come along and they say, what I said just a second to you, hey, gospel that Paul teaches you is great, but we have some new revelation. We've got some things that we want to add to the gospel that Paul is teaching to you. And remember I said to you uh, yesterday, like, you know, how often, when you read Galatians, you're like, how often does somebody say an angel came down from heaven and, you know, preached a different gospel? And I said, more often than you might think. It's true. We go through uh, phases of folks in our country who say, and well, they would, maybe would say it this way, that they're a different kind of Messiah. They come along and they add truth. So what we would say as Christians is that the Bible is objective principles, Right? The way that Paul says this, the way he combats this with the Judaizers, is he says, listen, I didn't get these truths for myself. He's like, I didn't make this up. But he said, I got this straight from God. That's what John just read. I downloaded this straight from God through me to give to you. The way that we say that in Christendom is that the Bible is truth without any mixture of error. That what God did is God wrote the Bible through the personalities and the lenses and the hands of the men who put it down on paper. But it is all true, cover to cover, truth with no mixture of error. Christianity is absolutely objective principles. But every now and then, somebody comes along and says, hey, I've got another idea to add to this. Classic example um, is uh, Mormonism. Joseph Smith, founder of Mormonism, says that an angel named Mormo came down from heaven, brought him some golden tablets, and the golden tablets were written on them, the Book of Mormon. And so he writes that out. He says the angel, right, says to him, don't join any churches because all the churches are wrong. I'm going to establish a new kind of church through you. Take some people, move, get out of there, and we're going to establish uh, a brand new thing. And so Joseph Smith, um, by the time he died, he had 49, uh, 49 wives, 49 that we know of that are, that are written down, that we have names. Uh, there are probably, probably more than that. Um, are y'all married? Yeah, right, great. Could, yeah, yeah, one of him is great, right? How about 48 more of him you could be married to? No, yeah, no, yeah, no, I like that. Yeah, no. Can you imagine? He had 49 different spouses that we know of right? And it was all about him. It was all about him. So the, one of the other things that he said the angel told him is that African Americans, that actually where African Americans came from, where they were the people in the Garden of Eden that followed the serpent, that disobeyed God. So God cursed them by darkening their skin, and they were supposed to roam the earth cursed. That's what Joseph Smith said, wrote it down early on. Now, throughout history, the last 50 years, the Mormon church is moving away from some of those things, right? They don't, they don't agree with polygamy anymore. They rewrote what Smith said about African Americans and their origins and things like that. 
So what's the problem? What's the obvious problem that you see there? Yes, right. So let's call the Bible A, right? We'll say Bible is A. So if you have objective principles and truth A, but the Book of Mormon, for example, comes along and B trumps A, and then there's some tweaks to B, what's the problem? What's to say that sometimes C is not going to come along and trump B? So how do you know if you ever have truth or not? Christianity, Paul says here, it's objective principles. God spoke through the personalities of people. They wrote down exactly what God intended. So what we have is truth without any mixture of error. And that's very important because if you get rid of any of it, you might as well get rid of all of it because all of it becomes relative at that point, right? One of the um, most well-known directors, uh, filmmakers in the 20th century is Woody Allen. And um, I don't know how much you know about his life, but he had an, a daughter that he adopted. And eventually it uh, was suspected that he had an affair with his adopted daughter. And so eventually he becomes uh, accused of that. And finally he cops to truth that he had an affair with his adopted daughter. And people were, I mean, they just came out in droves and they're like, that's exploitive and um, that's abuse. And, that's, and you know what Woody Allen's response was? The heart wants what the heart wants. That's what he said. In other words, how can I deny my feelings? The heart wants what the heart wants. And the truth is, there's a little bit of Woody Allen in all of us. There's a little bit of Woody Allen in all of us because there's enough, there's enough sin inside of all of us that what we do is um, we tend to say, you know what, I'm a Christian, so I believe the Bible, right? All of it, cover to cover. But you know what? I, my money is my money, and I'm going to do what I want with my money, so I'm just going to kind of ignore the parts of the Bible that teach me to be a generous person and to give. Or we say, you know what, I believe everything, I believe everything in the Bible, um, but you know what, I really like to gossip. I really like to talk about other people's business because it makes me feel better about my business. So I'm going to obey all of God except for that. What are we doing? We're just saying the heart wants what the heart wants. I know the Bible says that I'm supposed to serve my spouse. Ephesians chapter 5, there's supposed to be mutual submission. So I'm supposed to pay attention to my spouse's needs as I love Christ. And they're supposed to pay attention to my needs as, as they love Christ. But you know what? My spouse isn't paying attention to my needs. So you know what? I'm not going to pay attention to their needs. What are you doing? What do we do when they were, we're just making the Bible relative? Because the heart wants what the heart wants. So Paul says that absolutely Christianity, absolutely the truth we have, is written down objective principles for us to follow and not to try and rework the scriptures to make the scriptures match us. That's one thing. But that's not all. He also says, if you look down in, um, in verse 15, um, we'll go through uh, verse 15 through chapter 2, verse 1. John, are you, are you up? Are you up again? Yeah. All right. Come on. Come on. It should be up there. Yeah, go ahead.
Thanks again, John. Thanks. So, first thing Paul says, the Bible is objective principles. But then he says something that feels almost just the opposite of that. Um, have you ever um, have you ever gone to church um, and walked away from church, or ever gone to a church service of some sort, and you walked away and you still kind of felt far from God? Have you ever done that? I, I don't mean just like a little bit far from God. I mean like, aren't there moments in our lives where we feel like an ocean? away from God, and we're right in the middle of spiritual stuff. Why is that? And in the converse, true, aren't there moments in your life that maybe you were not at church at all? Maybe you were out walking in nature. Maybe you were underneath the stars uh, one night, and the magnitude of God just kind of whaps you, and you feel incredibly close to God. I think the times in my life where... um, I felt the closest to God were um, at the birth of my three children. Those were moments where I felt like the veil between heaven and earth was very thin. Like I felt like God was right there in the room, which is why I think Angie said his name so many times during labor. I felt like he was right there with us. Have you ever, have you ever experienced like, a, like, like sometimes you feel far, far away from God, and then there are other times where you feel really, really close to why is that? Because Christianity is not just objective principles. Christianity is also subjectively personal. Very, very personal. What's interesting to me about this text in Galatians chapter 1 is that Paul goes from saying, man, listen, this is the Bible. God gave it to me. It's written down. It's objective. Go, follow it. It's true, truth, to, hey, let me tell you about this timeline. Well, so in order of God gave me this purpose to preach the gospel, but instead of going straight up to Jerusalem, here's what I did. I went out into Arabia for three years, and after three years, then I went up to Damascus for 14 years, and then after 14 years, I eventually went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And why does he give us a timeline? Because he's making a very important point. He's giving us a point-by-point timeline of God's activity in his life. Now, why does he do that? Two reasons. I think there are two reasons. One is because of environment. About, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, we talked about this just real quick at our church on Sunday. Have you ever thought about why certain kids grow up in church and they get super involved like in the uh, children's ministry or student ministry and they are like laser focused until they get their driver's license and then all of a sudden and they're gone and you never see them again. Or maybe there's a child and they go to college. And they go to college and they get connected to a campus ministry. And while they're in that campus ministry, it is like lights on, man. Like they are burning, burning, burning for Christ. And then all of a sudden they graduate from college and they move to a different city. It's like they never really get connected. Or maybe you're a young couple and you've got kids. And um, as 
kids and you don't know what to do and you don't know what you're supposed to do with your kids and you get really connected in this church and you've got friends and you've got a small group and everything's great and then all of a sudden you get a job transfer and you move to a different city and you just can't ever really find that right church and the right group and so you struggle with, why does that happen? It's because of the environmental phenomenon. Sometimes for us, Christianity is more about the group it's more about the student ministry. It's more about the college ministry. It's more about the young adult ministry in our church than it is about being personal with Christ. And it's more about the environment and the group. And as long as you're connected to the environment and the group, then it's okay. But when Christianity becomes really personal, it's not really there for you. And listen, the group is great. We need the group. But the group is not primary. And so Paul goes out of his way to say to us, to make a point to us so that we know that it's very easy for you to be in the church. If I can say it to you this way, but the church not be in you. It's very easy to be around Christianity and not be in Christianity. It's very easy to take on all of the Christian language, to go to all the meetings, and for it to not be really personal. So maybe you're here today, and maybe that's you. And maybe, you know, you're here at Gold Lake, and it's great that you're here, um, and you're here because you're family, and maybe there was a generation ahead of you that encouraged you, to, and you're like, oh, great, it's all family. Or maybe you're, one of the, maybe you're a guy here in the room, and he's kind of like, I really don't care about church. My wife takes me to, I go because my wife wants me to go, and it keeps us from fighting. All the, but let me just, is it personal for you? If it was just you, and you had to make the call. Nobody else was around. Would you get up in the morning and say, you know what? Christ has saved me. I've got to go to the Word. I'm not going to make it without Him. If it was just up to you on a Sunday and your wife is gone and your kids are gone or your husband's gone, maybe he's the one that's kind of hammered down, making sure you go to church and your family or whatever. And let's just say everybody else is gone, Sunday morning, just you. Nobody's going to know whether you attend or nobody's going to check a box for you. Nobody's going to ask. How is that? Is it personal or is it environment? That's the first reason Paul does. But the second reason, to me, is, more, is even more interesting. Second reason, first reason, environment. Second reason, encouragement. Here's what Paul says. I came to know Christ. Miracle on the road to Damascus. Paul, listen, Paul, uh, he taught under uh, uh, the rabbi Gamaliel. Um, Paul went through the process as a youngster. Paul would have had the whole Old Testament memorized. I'm going to say that to you again. Paul would have had the whole Old Testament Memorized. Put to memory. And yet when he becomes a Christian, what does he say he does? He goes out into the Arabian desert for three years. What is he doing in the Arabian desert for three years? The only thing I can think of is that he's taking everything he's learned in the Jewish framework and he's now applying that to Christ. Though the Holy Spirit is, is teaching him, he's downloading truth. And then it says... Okay, well, I don't know what you would think. I would think, okay, then he becomes Paul. No, no. Then it's 14 years in Damascus. What does he do in Damascus for 14 years? He's a tent maker, starts a business. Why would he do that? Why would God have Paul go start a business in Damascus? 
You start a business, you learn how to deal with difficult people, right? You do that in your job, right? Every week, you learn about conflict, how do you deal with conflict, how do you deal with difficult people, checks, balances, how does all this thing work out? How do I take my faith to work with me? And so the whole time, 14 years, Paul's in Damascus. What's he doing? Reading the truth and applying the truth. Read a little bit and go apply a little bit. What did, I, what, what did Isaiah say about this? I'm going to go apply that today. Read it. Apply. You know what that is? I'm going to offend some of you right now, and I don't mean to, but I'm going to. That's deep. That is deep Christianity. Deep is not going out and reading big, thick books and writing in journal. Like, I'm all for it. I'm all for reading big, thick books. Don't email me. I'm all for writing big, thick books, right, and journaling, love journaling. I think it's a great thing. But you know what deep Christianity is? Read it and do it, right? Read it, pray it, do it. Read it, pray it, do it. Read it, pray it, do it. That's what Paul was doing. He's downloading Christianity now from his head through his heart, into his life, into his hands. So, if you're keeping score at home, that's three years in the Arabian desert. That's 14 years, I'm assuming, running a business in Damascus. That's how many years? How many? <laughs> come on, come on. How many years? 17 years. And then what happens after 17 years? He says, then I went up to Jerusalem. What do you think about that? It took God 17 years to create Paul for 10 years of ministry. I don't know about you, but I always thought growing up, like, road to Damascus, light comes from heaven, bam, he becomes Paul next day, here we go. No, 17 years. God works on Paul for 10, and they were 10 fantastic years, by the way, of ministry, right? Writes 14 books, two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul plants the churches that plant the churches that plant the churches that plant the churches that plant the churches that you now attend and that I now attend. Incredible 10 years. But it takes God 17 years. Like, Dean, why are you going through all this? Why, why are you telling me all this? I'm making this point. For those of you who are sitting here this morning thinking, Dean, how long is it going to take me to get better? Dean, how long is it going to take this Christianity thing to really catch in my soul, for me to grow, for me to be able to do the things that the scriptures say to do? Listen to me. It took God 17 years to create Paul. He is not done with you. Do not quit on him, right? Salvation, point in time, salvation is where you get all of God. The rest of your life is where God gets all of you. The rest of your life is sanctification. Day by day by day. What happens? You die. You die. You die. You die. Hammer the flesh. Hammer the flesh. Hammer the flesh. And you let Christ begin to live in you. Just like it did in Paul. How long is it going to take me to get better, Dean? I don't know when the day will be. But I know it doesn't happen just like that. So today is not your forever. And your condition is not your conclusion. One of the things that I wanted to do this week um, is I wanted to um, uh, get more perspective. Because it's very easy, I think, whenever um, maybe you sit in a church or a church meeting to say, yeah, he's the pastor guy. He's supposed to say that. And so in a lot of our time together uh, this week, I've asked people, I asked um, I'm couple months ago, I asked Daniel, hey, give me some folks that you think um, maybe would do a good job maybe sharing God's activity uh, in their life. And I know some folks from uh, our church that are with us that I've asked. And so this morning, um, just in this sharing around this idea that your condition is not 
um, your conclusion, um, I've asked Andy Seacrest, and he's going to come up here, and he's going to share with you just a little bit of uh, God's activity uh, in his life uh, recently. said don't do anything I wouldn't do and that's a broad spectrum um, I'm Andy Seacrest I'm from Columbus I hate public speaking I'm just an introvert by nature um, so I like to stretch so um, if you guys wouldn't mind just stretching with me a little bit if the guys and gals could get up and stretch come on up uh, <laughs> all right <coughs> so if the guys then just put your hands like shoulders length like this and if the girls could ladies Okay, Andy, it was great having you with us. You, okay. can, you can only use that joke once. So when, when Daniel did that thing on Saturday night about plugging in, you just plug into the wrong charger. That's the way I basically lived my life until my mid-30s. I was lucky enough, talented enough, whatever. I could just always make things work. And I hit a brick wall in my mid-30s. So I was playing golf with a great spiritual mentor I had, and I complained the whole time. I complained, complained, complained about everything. And he just wrote on the scorecard, he's like, read Joshua 1, we're having lunch next Friday. So I read Joshua 1, and I'm like, okay, not getting it. That doesn't really solve my problems. So he sat down, and he, I bought him Jersey Mike's, we're sitting there, and he said, you're, you're basically an idiot. You're a mess. You've complained about your financial being. You've complained about your relationships, your work, your family. You've complained about everything. But you have not said anything about your spiritual well-being. So if you go back to Joshua 1, God basically says, this is the first written word I've given to you, a new leader. I want you to meditate on this day and night. And three times in there, he says, be strong and courageous, and you'll be successful and prosper. That doesn't mean you're going to have a lot of money. It doesn't mean you need to be right. It just means you need to be strong and courageous for eternal, for eternal purposes of what is God trying to do in your life. And to me, that was life-changing. And he said, one thing I took from that, it'll a couple things I took was the promises that are available to Abraham are available to us today. And people don't always remember what happened or why your situation happened, but they will always remember how you reacted to it. So after he, God gives this message to Joshua, the first words out of Joshua's mouth is go. So we don't remember what happened to Joshua, how he got there, but the first words were go. So that's basically, it took me years, literally four or five years to kind of rethink how I live my life. We started coming to Gall Lake. I got involved in an organization called Bible Study Fellowship, where it was more of a 30-week Bible study. We got involved in small groups at church um, and really had some good spiritual mentors. So it took us four or five years to rethink the way we did our life. And so we had literally, in Bible Study Fellowship, we had literally just finished, in 2012, we had literally just finished the study of Acts. And the last part of that is where Paul's on trial and Paul's falsely accused. And he goes out, he, he's like, I have got to go to Rome, and I have got to be in front of Caesar. Through his, through his journeys, he has all types of ways to get out of that. He can always take the easy way out. He can always say, um, I'm going to stay on this island. I've got a place where I have a ministry. But he is determined to go to Caesar. So during that prayer, I'm like, well, if that happens to me, I want to be able to go the distance. I don't want to take the shortcut. I want to go the distance. That is a great prayer 
until Tuesday you get fired. That prayer kind of stops. So I walked into the office on Tuesday and they're like, nope, you're gone. And there was like six or seven of us that got laid off or got fired. Um, and so that puts a whole new perspective on that. So I remember going home that night and I called a friend of mine. He's like, look, um, this is what we basically just prayed and you now get to be on a journey. I'm like, well, that's, that's nice. So, um, but I, I literally prayed that there was no bitterness in my heart over the situation. That night I was, you know, stayed up until midnight. I had my pity party and I basically said, I don't want any bitterness in my heart. I want to make sure that I can just put this beside behind me because at some point I'm going to interact with people from my former employer and I don't want it to be one of those situations. I called my old boss the next day and I'm like, hey, you might not have known this. I got all these contracts, basically did a dump of everything I'd worked on. And he's like, why are you telling me this? I'm like, I'm going to run into you again, and I don't want to have any baggage. So we had just, I'm going to stop there and go back a little bit. Back, We had literally just started going to LifePoint. And, you know, when you go to there, Dean and Angie do this, hey, let's get to know you better. So it's Good Friday, and we're going, we're first watch, and Nancy's running a little bit late. So she walks in, and she's got, she realizes she's got that broken foot. So she's in a boot. So it's like the German armies walking into uh, first watch, and Dean's laughing, Angie's embarrassed. So that was that was middle of April. Middle of May, I get fired, so I tell Dean, hey, I lost my job. Um, then literally a couple, when you get fired, they give you career counseling. So I'm with my career counselor, and my phone keeps ringing. And I'm like, Nancy, stop. This is, this is important. And so I call her, and she's like, Natalie just got hit. Our middle daughter just got hit in a car accident. It was one of those things where it literally was between the back door and the front door and a foot further up front, she probably would have been killed. So I don't have a job, Nancy's in a boot, we're down a car, daughter just got in a serious car accident. Well then the older daughter goes and she's gotta get her wisdom teeth pulled. So she's got cheeks swollen, she's got those, the head thing on. So now you've got dad doesn't have a job, mom's in a boot, oldest daughter's got swollen cheeks and ice pack on her head middle daughter got a car accident. Then the little one's playing volleyball and she breaks her wrist. <laughs> so dad doesn't have a job. <laughs> Mom's got a boot on. Oldest daughter, swollen. Middle daughter, no car, just got in a car accident. Little daughter. And every time we'd see Dean and, Dean and Angie in church, they'd look, literally look at us and go, there they are, run. Um, <laughs> so our anniversary's in June and we're like, okay, we're gonna go out and have a nice dinner. And so we get to go out, we get up to get out and the dog can't get off the couch. We're like, oh no. So we had to go put the dog to sleep. So there's some little, so dad doesn't have a job. <laughs> Mom's in a boot. Oldest daughter, middle daughter car accident. Youngest daughter is hand thing, no dog. So we're just devastated. And then those storms, so we're thinking, we we're in all this, people are like, they, when you don't have a job, people think you have a terminal illness. And you're like, this is, we are glorifying God in everything we do because there's a, there's a purpose here. So a week later, it's toward the end of June, you know those storms that come across the Midwest. So we live in the woods, storm comes through, lights go out, trees down, and we did what any good Christian couple would do. We traded in our Marriott points, went to Ikea and Westchester. <laughs> So we got out of town. So now we've got dad doesn't have a job, mom's in a boot, daughter's, I think she's over the um, wisdom teeth, middle daughter still doesn't have a car, youngest daughter still has a cast on, no dog, house is trash. So, but w one thing we were 
cognizant of, it was not, people were not going to remember that, but how we responded to it. So we were always very positive, um, almost overly positive that God is going to prevail and there's going to be a beautiful story in this for his purpose. So we prayed, we always prayed about my job situation. I was very fortunate that I had marketable skills. So we always prayed about my job situation. I had three or four opportunities and my middle daughter, Natalie, the one that was in the car accident, she was at a Christian camp down in Kentucky and she called up and she's like, hey, we prayed with my, my friends and we believe you should take this opportunity. Um, and it was all very well laid out. We came to Gall Week a couple of weeks later and we talked to Daniel and we're like, we're struggling with what job to take. And his point was, it's not so much what job you take, it's the process you get there. Are you looking at what God's plan is? Where does God want you to be? And are you focusing on God's decision, not so much the job? So it was interesting. I ended up taking a job. Ended up being a really good situation. The three or four job offers I had, either they didn't materialize, um, they did reorgs about three months after I would have taken it, and they wiped out the job, or people got fired. And the people that I used to work with that got laid off never got past that event of being like a, they still are on, some of them on their third, fourth jobs. They never got past it. And the purpose was, this is what God wanted us. We were enthusiastic. Probably, we were probably enthusiastic about everything that was thrown at us. And through that, anytime somebody loses their job, um, we try to then come alongside them and just coach them through it and say, what's God's, where's God in this situation? Um, and we've used that as a rallying cry to really come around people and say, how do you do this? Um, because most people, will, if you look at us, we'll laugh now about that. Um, but it was just a, to have God's presence and know that God was going to have an outcome was the most peaceful um, feeling I've, I've had in my life. And it was all because we were prepared for the storm. We were prepared on how to act in a godly way. And then we, we actively seek, 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 seek God's um, wisdom on what our purpose was going to be and what the outcome would be. And there was an eternal purpose of that, we believe that we're able to share that with other people and also just uh, come alongside people um, when they're in times of trouble. Thanks, Andy. Thank <laughs> I, um, I appreciate what Andy shared and sometimes how those things stack up in our lives can become a moment where faith kind of freezes um, for us. And so I'm grateful for their perspective. Uh, I shared with our church, uh, I don't know, probably four or five years ago, that whenever um, I was really young and I was blessed to have parents uh, who uh, took me to church whenever I was a kid. And um, in our little kids ministry, we used to sing this, uh, this little song. And I'm, by the way, I'm a terrible, terrible singer. I'm like... You're the American Idol reject show, like they do at the beginning of the season. That's me, right? I'm I'm one of those people. But the song goes uh, goes something like this: He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Some of you know. Come on, sing it. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. The first verse says, there really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge him yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect just according to his plan. Fashioned by the master's loving hand. 
You know what I love about that little song? Is it talks about the fact that God's just never done with us. That your condition today is not your conclusion. Your today is not your forever. All right, so you heard it once, all right? So we're all going to sing just the chorus, not the verse. We'll just all sing the chorus together, all right? Don't leave me hanging. Ready? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. God, we are so grateful that you never, ever, ever stop. Even in moments, God, when we don't feel close to you, even in moments, God, where we don't pursue you the way that we should, you still pursue us. We are grateful that you are a God who will not quit. And that you will take the most difficult things in our lives and you will use them to glorify yourself and to bring us more joy. Nothing gets wasted with you. So thank you, God, that we can trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.